Today we're going to talk about uh, songs of Christmas. And as we've gone through this series, um, talking about Christmas in a garden, how Christmas uh, didn't start in a manger, it started in a garden. We looked at the words of the prophet last week, uh, proclaiming the coming of that child and, and what that meant for all of the world. What was started and what continues. And today we're going to look at three songs in the Scripture. Uh, Christmas carols are songs that recount and celebrate the coming of Christ, the Savior, to the world. And all that means or all that implies to all of His creation. Jingle Bells is not a Christmas carol. Well, we sing it at Christmas time. Do you know Jingle Bells actually was not written for Christmas, it was written for Thanksgiving but it got picked up and became a Christmas song. The Jingle Bells is not a Christmas carol, but a song of the season that's only appropriate in the season. But the reality is Christmas carols, like Joy to the World or O Come All Ye Faithful, those songs communicate truths that are not just seasonal, but truths that are eternal, and they're actually appropriate any time of year because the message of the song is an eternal message that is centered in Christ and what Christ has done. And so the fact that it may seem awkward to sing these songs in July, right? It is a little awkward. You come in July in the middle of summer and we're singing Christmas carols. It's, it's a little awkward, but it that doesn't really say much about the song or the truth conveyed. It really says something about our mindset, that we have made Christmas really this day or this very small window or this season, but what we're trying to do in, in these messages is to really expand your view and help you understand that Christmas is not just about a day or a season. Christmas is eternal. Christmas is, by the very fact of what it is, even its name, the Christ Mass, it is about Jesus. And Jesus is not limited to a day or a season or one day a week or one season of the year. He is the eternal Lord of Lords, the creator of heaven and earth. He is without season. So Christmas songs speak of hope, the promise and the salvation we have in Christ because our hope and promise and salvation in Christ are not seasonal but eternal. In that sense, all of our songs in celebration of Christ are Christmas songs. We could kind of say it like that. So let's carol loud, and let's carol daily, and let's celebrate the Lord Jesus, not just in a season, but let's do that every day of our lives. So we're going to look at three songs of Christmas, the song of Mary, the song of Zacharias, and the song of Simeon. And these songs are the Word of God. These songs were spoken by servants who were filled with the Spirit of God. And they declare God's Word. And what, what is contained in these songs, in these utterances made by these servants, Mary, Zacharias, Simeon, they uttered, they 
proclaimed the Word of God. And in those words and in those songs, there is truth eternal for us to grasp and for us to see, for us to hear, for us to know. Amen? And we could spend our entire time and even more on each one of these sections of Scripture because there is so much in each one of these. But today we're going to take really just an overview of these songs and the message that each of these songs conveys. So the purpose that we're trying to achieve today is that you would grasp the overarching message of these songs so that we may come to see more clearly the Christ whom these songs proclaim. This isn't about songs. This is about Christ. The point of the words that Mary and Zacharias and Simeon uttered, the point of those words was to convey a truth. It was to reveal, it was to make known Christ, the Messiah. And this is what our hope and our prayer is today, that we would come to see more clearly the person of Christ. Amen? The person who inspires or should inspire all of our Christmas songs. Not just our holiday songs, but our Christmas songs. Amen? So let's start, turn to the book of Luke, chapter 1, verse 46. And let's pray right now. And let's ask that the Holy Spirit would do a work in our hearts and a work in our minds that He would open the eyes of our understanding, that He would open the eyes of our hearts and the eyes of our minds and our ears to hear and to see Christ in these words, in these songs, that we would see Christ in all of Scripture and that we would be in awe and in wonder of Christ the Messiah. Father, we ask that you would do that today. Lord, we cannot, as much as I would will, through the force of my will, the power of my will, if I could, I would will that each person here, myself included, would, would see in a grander, more clear, more um, amazing way the person of Christ. But Lord Christ... That person, our Messiah, our Savior, Lord, must be revealed by the Spirit of God, must be grasped by our spirits. And I pray that you would, by your Spirit today, Lord God, cause our hearts and our minds to see clearly, to comprehend in a deeper way, Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that we would be a people that would be in wonder of who you are and what you have done through the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you would do this today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the Song of Mary is a song of hope. A song of hope for the lowly. Let's read. I'm going to read to you verses 46 through 53. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For He has regarded the lowly state of His maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. 
For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. This is the song of Mary. It is a song of hope for the lowly. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 23 and 24, Not only that, but he, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope? For what he sees. A song of hope for the lowly. This word lowly, it means depression. In rank, or in our station of life, or in our feelings, or in our emotions. It means humiliation, to be made low, to be of low estate, to be vile. It's not a very nice word, is it? But yet, this is how Mary described herself. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. Here is this young virgin of Israel, pregnant, not married. We can only imagine what the society around her had to say to her and about her. This word means to be humiliated in circumstances or in disposition, to be humbled, to be cast down. Mary's song is a song of hope for the lowly, for those who are cast down, for those who have been made low, for those because of circumstances or because of station in life are seen as low. Mary referred to herself as lowly, but the reality is this church, we are all lowly whether we realize it or not. Sin has cast us all down to the lowest, most vile degree and estate. This is why Christ came for us. The question is, do we, like Mary, recognize our low estate and need for God's salvation? Mary's song, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for He has regarded the lowly state of His maidservant. Later on, she says that He has put down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted the lowly. Listen to Mary's song. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. 
For he has regarded the lowly. He has done great things for me. That me represented Mary. But in Mary's song recorded for each one of us, that me represents you. He has given mercy to those who fear His name from generation to generation. There's a promise that He did not just give mercy one time for one person, for one group, in one era, but He has given mercy from generation to generation. It's why we as parents can cling to a promise that God has given us for our children and for our children's children. It's why we believe that the promise that was given by God, that was manifest in a manger some 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, that promise remains today from generation to generation. He has shown strength. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Think about that for just a moment. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. What what is in the imagination of your heart? It doesn't matter what station in life you're in. What is the imagination that's in your heart? See, pride is not just about where I'm at in life. Pride is about where I'm at in my heart. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones. And He has exalted the lowly. Peter writes, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He will lift you up in due time. Peter and James both write these words, God resists the proud, but He gives grace, more grace, to the humble. He has brought down the mighty. He has exalted. He has lifted up the lowly. Listen to Mary's song. He has filled the hungry with good things. Jesus said on the side of the mount, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And He has sent away empty the rich. Those who have said, I have no need of anything, for I have all things. Yet Jesus writes a letter in John's revelation of Christ to the church at Laodicea. And He says to this church, You say that you have need of nothing, but I say that you are naked and you are blind and you are in great need. You think you have everything, but in reality, you are empty. He has helped his servant Israel. Paul said, not all Israel are of Israel. Not all Israel are the descendants of Abraham, but Israel are those who are of faith. He has helped 
his servant Israel. He helps those who are of faith. Are you of faith this morning? Then regardless of what your station in life may be, regardless of how lowly your circumstance may be, God's promise to you, God's hope for you is that he helps those who are of faith. He has remembered mercy for Abraham and for his seed. Yes, his offspring, but even more important, Paul says in Galatians 13, 16, and the promise was made to Abraham and to his seed, not seeds as in many or as in plural, but seed as in singular, whose seed is Christ. The promise of God, the hope of God is made to those, to all of those who are in Christ, because the promise is to the seed, to Christ. Are you in Christ this morning? If you are in Christ this morning, then God has given you hope. Regardless of your lowly circumstance, there is hope for you. Paul, I read these words to you. Verse 24, for we were saved in this hope, But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope, here's the rest of that thought, but if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Does it seem like your lowly state may have no end? Wait with perseverance because God has given you hope. And he says, don't look at your lowly state, but look at the one who is the Lord over everything. Look at the one who has promised and provided help in your lowly state. Wait with perseverance. Hope for what we do not see and wait eagerly for it with perseverance. Hebrews 2, 8 and 9 declares this, we have put all things, you have put all things in subjection under His feet, speaking of Christ. For in that He put all in subjection under Him, He left nothing that is not put under Him. But now we do not yet see all things put under Him, but we see Jesus. For Mary, it may have seemed like her circumstances were over her, that she was underneath her circumstances. But through the Spirit of God and the revelation that God brought to her, she sings a song of hope in spite of her circumstances. She was still in the midst of her circumstances, and though Jesus was in her womb, she could see her Messiah. She could see Jesus. And she declared hope for the lowly. Not because their circumstances changed, but because there is a God who's made a promise that transcends our circumstances. And one day, all of our circumstances will change. One day, they all will. We see Jesus. God has provided hope for the lowly through the coming of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary's song is a song of hope for the lowly. Turn over a few verses and let's look at the next song. It's the song of Zacharias. 
Well, who was Zacharias? Well, Mary was the mother of Jesus. Zacharias was the father of John the Baptist. And in, in, in Luke's gospel in chapter 1, look at verse 4. Verse 5, it says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. This is the cousin of Mary. Or the, actually, uh, Mary's sister. John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. And it says that they were both, Zacharias and Elizabeth, were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in age. They were both well advanced in age. So this is Zacharias who is fulfilling his time in the temple, doing the duties of a priest in the temple. And he's in the holy place, not the most holy place. So in the temple there was this court. You walk in and there was a a veil. And on the other side of this veil it was called the holy place. And in the holy place was was uh, was the table of showbread, was the altar of incense, and was the menorah. And then there was another veil, and beyond that veil was the Ark of the Covenant. Well, in Zechariah's day, the Ark of the Covenant was no longer in the temple. It had not been in the temple since the Babylonian invasion. So they had, they had rebuilt the temple, but the Ark of the Covenant was no longer there. So in the holy place, there were these articles, this table of showbread, this altar of incense and this menorah, and here is Zacharias, and he's there ministering, and all of a sudden the Bible says the angel of the Lord appeared to him at the right side of the um, altar of incense. And he says, hey, Zacharias, you're going to have a son. And he goes on, and he tells him a whole bunch about this son that he's going to have. Zacharias is so... He's so shocked. He's like, basically, how's this going to happen? You know, I'm like pretty old. And the angel strikes him with dumbness. He said, you're not, you, because of your unbelief, you're not going to be able to talk now. And so Zacharias was unable to talk, to say anything, until it came down to when they're going to name the baby boy. And they're like, what are you going to name him? And, and Elizabeth says, we're going to name him John. They're like, Why are you going to name him John? There's no one in your family named John. That's a dumb idea. It's like, what does your husband have to say about this? Zacharias takes a piece of paper and he writes, his name will be John. And at that moment, his tongue is loosed and Zacharias now can speak. It says, now his father, verse 67, now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. 
He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he has swore to our father Abraham to grant to us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins." Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the song of Zacharias. It's a song of promised redemption for God's people. Paul pins these words in his letter to the Galatians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Think about that. You are no longer a slave, but a son. Can you imagine if you were raised up a slave and all you had ever known was slavery? And one day, you're taken from being a slave to a son, a slave to an heir. Have you guys ever watched Downton Abbey? Remember the guy who was the chauffeur, the, the, the driver? He marries the daughter of the lord of the house, and all of a sudden he's gone from being a servant to now one of the heirs. Nobody knows what to do because he's always just been a servant. He's been one of, the, one of the, the, the underclass. He had to eat in the kitchen. He couldn't, you know, he was just a servant. Now he's married the daughter and, and he's, he's moved upstairs. And nobody knows what to do. He doesn't even know what to do because he, he, he doesn't have an heir mentality or a son mentality. He's got a slave mentality. That's very similar to what happens with us. We were slaves to sin so long when God delivered us from our sin and we were no longer slaves to sin, but now we become heirs, sons of God. And we've been taken out of sin and death and brought into light and life. We've been seated now in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We, we, don't, we don't really know how to function 
Because all we've got in our mind, all we've been conditioned to, is a slave mentality. This is why the Bible says we need to renew our mind. I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy on Downton Abbey had to renew his mind to the reality of who he was now. He was not the chauffeur, 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 that's not, yeah, the chauffeur. He wasn't the chauffeur, he wasn't the driver anymore, he, he's now an heir. You're not a slave to sin any longer, you're an heir with the Son of God. This is the song of promised redemption that Zacharias is singing. There was a price paid for you, child of God, to take you from slavery to sonship, to take you from death to life. There was a ransom paid that allowed you to be seated in heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. To redeem means to release by paying a price or a ransom. Christ paid a price. He ransomed himself by his blood to deliver us. Listen to the song of Zacharias. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Oh, I want you to think about that. God doesn't wait for us to come to Him. This is what's different about Christianity from all other religions. All other religions give us a method, a formula, a way for us to climb the cosmic ladder to, to attain some level of something Because of our lowly state, because of our vile estate, we were and are, apart from Christ, helpless, hopeless, powerless. God didn't wait for us to come to Him. Zacharias sings this song of promise and redemption, and he says, God has visited His people. God has come in person to redeem His people. God doesn't wait for us to come to Him. God has raised up a horn of salvation for us as spoke by the mouth of His prophets who have been since the world began. Other than God speaking... The first recorded word of a man in the Scripture was Adam when he came out of his death-like sleep and he saw the woman, his part counterpart. And Adam says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The Apostle Paul gives us the commentary on what this truly means in his letter to the Ephesians. He said, I speak a mystery. I speak concerning Christ and the church. The very first recorded word of a man, the first man created, was a prophetic word that proclaimed Christ and His church 
from the very beginning, there is the prophesied proclamation of Christ and His church. This is the eternal plan of God. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for He has saved us from our enemies and all who hate us. Do you know where that salvation begins? It begins right here with the very sin that not only resides in us, but the very sin that holds us captive and consumes us. The greatest enemy of Israel was not the Roman Empire. The greatest enemy of Israel was the very sin that held Israel and all people in its deadly clutch. And no man could get free from that until the one man, Jesus Christ, came to visit us, to redeem us, and to set us free, to save us from our enemies and all who hate us. He has performed the mercy promised to our fathers. God made a promise in Genesis 3.15 that He would send the seed that would bruise, that would crush the head of the serpent. This is Christ. This is the seed promised seed, the promised mercy that God prophesied He would send. He has remembered His holy covenant. He has granted that we might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness. Not our own holiness, not our own righteousness, because we have none. But He has granted through His mercy that we would serve Him in holiness and righteousness the holiness and the righteousness of another, of His very own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given knowledge of salvation to His people. Do you have the knowledge of salvation today? Do you know who your salvation is? He has given salvation to His people by the remission of sins through the tender mercy of God. Paul pins these words in his letter to the Ephesians. Not by works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. For you are saved by grace through faith. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God. God has given salvation to His people by the remission of sins through the tender mercy of God. Not by works. There is no one that can boast of that. It is the gift of God. God has given light to those who sit in darkness. Paul says, you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. He has guided our feet into the way of peace. What is the way of peace? Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There is no way to the Father except through me. The peace that Christ has brought is the reconciliation between God and man. God was my enemy and I was God's enemy until Jesus came and brought peace and reconciled and brought an end to the hostility between God and man. He is the way of peace. And he came and visited us 
to redeem us and to guide our feet into that way. The word Zacharias, the name means Jehovah has remembered. God remembers His promises. God remembers His people. God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten your situation. God has not forgotten your circumstance. God remembers. Zacharias named his son John. The angel said, you're going to name him John. Not because it's a good family name, not because it was a popular name, but because that name had a meaning. Names are important. God didn't just name people and name things for no apparent reason. There was a reason why John was commanded to be called to be named John, this baby who was born six months before the Savior, who would go before the Savior to prepare the way of the Lord. He's the one prophesied in Malachi. He's the one prophesied in Isaiah. He's the one that would would go before the Lord and prepare the way. John means God is gracious. God has redeemed us because He is gracious. John came proclaiming the grace of God, the coming Messiah, the grace of God that visited us, that came to us to redeem us, to lift us out of our lowly state, to take us from being slaves and make us sons. God is gracious. God has redeemed His people by the blood of His very own Son. Not the blood of another, not the blood of an enemy, but the blood of His only born Son. This church, this is the grace of God. God came and visited us and gave the blood of His own Son to redeem us and to set us free. This is the song of promised redemption that Zacharias sang. So the Savior was born. There was another song saying, we won't talk about it today, but I'll, I'll just sing the verses of it. There was a song sung on the night the Savior was born when the angels came and they, they stood in the sky above those shepherds and they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. All right, Simeon's song. This is our last song that we're going to look at today. But now here, I just read to you this song from Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So the song of Mary is a song of hope for the lowly. The song of Zacharias is a song of promised redemption for God's people. The song of Simeon found in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 32, is a song of salvation for the world. Now, Simeon, we've got the mother of Jesus and we've got the father of John the Baptist. Who is Simeon? Well, it's interesting. Now, think about this. Who did God announce the birth of the Savior, the King of Kings? Who did he announce that birth to first? 
Did he find the most powerful king on earth, the most wealthy and rich and influential person or persons on earth to tell them that the Savior was born? No. He went to, get this, lowly shepherds keeping their flocks out in the field. They had no Wi-Fi. They had no cell phones. They had no way to get the message out other than just word of mouth. They're out there keeping their flocks, and all of a sudden these angels appear in the sky, and they announce the birth of the King of Kings. It's always amazing to think about this for me. It was the poor shepherds that heralded, the angels heralded the birth of the Savior to. It was not kings, not the mighty, not the powerful. This is the king of kings who has come. But yet God announces it first to the most lowly of the low. Then, as Joseph and Mary take the baby Jesus to the temple to have him dedicated, to fulfill the law, what, what he was the firstborn, so Here's what the law required. Here's what God required. Every firstborn, your firstborn animal was to be sacrificed. Your firstborn son, you're not going to sacrifice him, though God did ask Abraham if he would be willing to sacrifice the son of promise. And Abraham was willing, but God spared Isaac, obviously. So here's what the law required. The firstborn son was to be taken to the temple and dedicated to the Lord. He's the firstborn. He was the first to open the womb. This is why Jesus was taken to be dedicated. He was the firstborn. It was required by law that he be given to the Lord in this sense. So this is what Joseph and Mary are bringing Jesus to the temple to do. It's after her days of purification. She had to wait 40 days for, for all the, after having the baby and the issue of blood and everything. She could not come into the temple until the, her days of purification were complete. So they are. So here she comes carrying the baby Jesus into the temple. Now, I want you guys to get this picture. Joseph and Mary are coming into the temple. Mary is carrying the very one prophesied back at the very beginning in the garden when God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed, and the seed of the woman will bruise your head, Satan. This is that seed. Mary is carrying the Messiah. She is carrying the salvation, the consolation of Israel. The Savior of the world is in her arms. This little Jewish girl. Think about the most important and most powerful man on earth today. Some would say it's the President of the United States. Think about the security detail that goes with him everywhere he goes. If we want to compare the importance of the President of the United States to the importance of the Savior of the world, there is no comparison. I love the song we sing. There was no armed guards there was no army or security detail. This was just a little virgin, just a little girl who was a virgin when she became impregnated with this baby. The Savior of the world walking into the temple. 
There are people everywhere offering sacrifices. There's worship going on. There's all kinds of things happening. And everyone is oblivious to the fact that the King of Kings, the Savior of the world, was just brought into the building. I can remember going to a an event one time at a youth camp we used to go to, and they had a big-name televangelist come to speak at this youth camp, and, and it was like a big deal. And they had security details, and the guys had the, the things, and it's like, I mean, they were given the play-by-play. The plane has landed. Okay, he's in the car. He's making his way to the building. And I'm thinking, really? Do you realize that Jesus had none of that? He didn't have any of that. Here's the most important, most powerful person to ever walk the face of the earth. And, and, and the world is oblivious to the fact that he's just come into the temple. Except for one guy. Actually, one, one old man and one old woman. But the first to recognize him was an old man. His name was Simeon. The Bible says he was an old man, devout and just. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel that was promised by God. This is who held that baby and announced to those worshipers that day in the temple the salvation of God. And no one paid attention. God had promised that before he died, he would see the salvation of God the consolation of Israel. Simeon knew what that meant. It meant you would see the Messiah before you die. And here's this old man who stayed in the temple most of the time praying, waiting. Mary and Joseph walk in and immediately he knows the Messiah is here. He goes over to Mary. He takes the baby in his arms. You know what the word Simeon means? It means God hears. Simeon was one of the sons of Jacob. He was named Simeon because God heard the suffering of his mother. God hears or God has heard my suffering. It was this Simeon that recognized the one who would bring an end to suffering. How? through his very own suffering that would lead to our salvation. It was another Simeon who carried the cross of Jesus. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? God hears. God knows my suffering. God has heard of my suffering. God knew the suffering of his son and and caused another Simeon to bear him up at the end of his life. This is at the beginning of his life. So listen to the song of Simeon. Here's what Simeon said when he took the baby Jesus in his arms. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I'm going to read a scripture to you. John chapter 6, verse 40. The words of Jesus, the words of the man... Simeon was holding in his arms. 
And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Do you realize how many people in that temple saw that baby but did not see the Son of God? They saw that baby in the arms of that mother. They saw that baby in the arms of that old man, but they did not see the Savior. They just saw a baby. They did not hear the words that were declared. They just heard words. They didn't hear the word of God. They just heard words. Salvation, which you have prepared before the faces of all people. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. One translation says, a light to lighten the Gentiles. Has God brought revelation to your heart? You hear me talking about a Savior. You hear me talking about the words of God. But do you hear the salvation God has proclaimed? Have you seen the Savior of the world? I'm not, I don't mean did He appear in your bedroom last night. I'm saying have you by faith seen Him by the revelation of the Spirit and now know that He is your only hope, your only consolation. There is no other. We have no other hope. We have no other consolation except this Savior. Do you see Him? The glory of your people Israel. The destined, listen, He is the destined fall and rising of many in Israel. Lord, now... You are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Verse 33 says, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. A sign that will be spoken against. I can't tell you how many times I spoke against the Savior. In my darkness and in my ignorance, in my death and in my sin. I'm very thankful for the grace of God that brought me out of that and delivered me and gave me eyes to see and ears to hear the Savior. He said, This is destined for the fall and rising of many. He will be a sign which will be spoken against, a sword that will pierce the soul. Why? That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Hebrews 4.12 says this concerning the Word of God. Do you know what Jesus is? Do you know who Jesus is? He is the living Word of God. He is the Word made flesh that dwelt among us. The writer of Hebrews says, seeing then that we have... I'm sorry, let me see.
Verse 12, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word of God discerns our heart. That we would allow God's Word to pierce our hearts and to reveal our deepest thoughts, the deepest intents of our heart. You cannot hide them from God. God will open your heart and will reveal the very thing that is hidden within it. You may hide it from people, but you cannot hide it from God. And it doesn't do you any good to hide it from people. Because man can't save you, only God can. And until we come to a place that we not only surrender, but we embrace this reality that God wants to open our heart and reveal the things that are there. Because it's only when our heart's been revealed, it's only when we come to this place of understanding that our hearts need to be revealed and that's what, what is in our heart is not always good. Until God gives us a new heart, there is nothing good in our heart. And the point of God opening our heart, the point of that is to discern, not just so that He would know, so that we would know, that we would cry out to this Savior, this consolation of Israel, this Savior of the world, this one that will bring light and revelation to the nations, this one who will discern the deepest depths of our heart and reveal those things that are hidden deep within. This is the song of Simeon. It's a song of salvation for the world that God came to save not just a nation, but he came to save the world. He came to save not just a nation, but the nations from every tribe, from every tongue. That they would be taken from slavery and become heirs, sons of God, adopted into the family of God. There is now only one line, one family. It is Jesus Christ. These are the songs. Mary's song of hope for the lowly. Zechariah's song of promise and redemption for God's people. Simeon's song of salvation for the world. Do you hear the song? Do you know the words? You ever sing? You ever gone Christmas caroling? Who's ever gone Christmas caroling? You ever been Christmas caroling and you don't have a sheet with the words? And you don't know the words? know the tune so you're like watermelon 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 you know your lips are moving but you don't really don't really know the words i've done that a lot see it's not not so important that you know all the words but what's most important is do you, do you know the message do you know the meaning of the words i don't know all the words to joy to the world but i know what the message of the song is I can embrace the message and the meaning of the song because I know the one whom the song 
is about. I know the one who the song declares. So do you hear the songs? Do you know the message? Do you have ears to hear and eyes to see the salvation of God? Do you? Do you know people who don't have eyes to see and don't have ears to hear the salvation of God? Do you know people like that? I do. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you at least know someone who does not. I pray that you do. That you have come to hear and you have come to see. But if you have not, here's my charge to you that you would cry out to God from the depth of your heart that the consolation of Israel would save you. Would take you from being a slave and make you a son. That he would have mercy on you and save your soul and give to you the greatest gift of all. That is the gift of eternal life that is found only in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen. That you would earnestly pray for those that you know who have not come to hear and have not come to see yet. That you would earnestly pray that they would cry out from the depths of their heart that God's Word, whether it's through your mouth or through their reading or however God chooses to bring it, but that God's Word would open their hearts and reveal their need for a Savior, the Savior. Amen? Let's all stand. A song of hope for the lowly, a song of redemption for God's people, a song of salvation for the world. This is what we sing, this is what we declare when we sing our Christmas carols. This is what we sing and this is what we declare when we sing our songs in July or June or September or April. This is what we sing and what we declare. This is the song that should be in our heart every day. We have reason to sing, to sing loudly, to sing joyfully. We have a reason to celebrate. Christ has come. Amen. Father, I pray today that you would not just help us know the words, but God, you would reveal the meaning and the message that you would give us eyes to see the Savior, ears to hear the Savior, that you would reveal to our hearts, the very depths of our heart, the person of Jesus Christ, that God, we would be awestruck in the very presence of the Savior of the world. Lord, that we would understand that, that God is not waiting for us to come to Him, but God has come to us. He has sent the Son. The Son has come. He came. He visited us. He came to redeem us in person, not from a distance. And You dwell in us. You live in us. And we dwell in You and we live in You in person, not at a distance. God, open our hearts and our minds, our eyes and our ears to that truth, to that reality. Let it change us and transform us from the inside out that we would never be the same again. Do this by your Spirit, God, because it's only by your Spirit that this can be done. 
Do it for your glory, God. For there is no other worthy reason but your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.